to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, and uh, obviously, most recently, uh, COVID-19. And anything else that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, as always, if there is something you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a button that says send the host an email. I do get all emails and I do respond to everything I get. If there is a product or service you'd like to advertise on the show, you can reach me the same way and I can send you some information on that too. Uh, Fingers crossed, there are some conferences coming up in the fall that uh, I'll be speaking at. Um, We'll see what happens. DRJ in Phoenix, September 28th, um, they're doing a uh, a, a conference, um, their fall conference, and uh, we're going to see about doing a live broadcast from Phoenix. So that's September 28th. In October 7th and 8th in Toronto, the Continuity and Resilience Today conference is happening, and I'm speaking there. And just announced uh, the other day, uh, I was going to be on-site speaking at BCI World in Birmingham, UK, November 5th and 6th, but that looks like it's going to be a virtual conference, yet I'm still going to be a part of that and doing a presentation for them. So, And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, Boast Assessment, which allows you to go in and do some uh, self-assessment of where your business continuity program is and allow you to focus your resources on where you need to. So thanks everyone at Stone Road. Today's guest uh, is actually someone uh, probably in my neighborhood, for all I know, could be right across the street. But the, I reached out to uh, the University of Guelph, which is situated in the town, the city, sorry, sorry everyone, the city where I live, and uh, about some uh, pandemic business continuity uh, topics. And uh, I got in touch with um, a gentleman who got back to me, and we had a chat. We started talking about an article he's writing, and um, we've kept in touch a little bit now. I've got his book in front of me, and I work today we're going to talk about well-being. So I'd like to welcome to the show Professor Jamie Grumman. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, as I mentioned, you're a professor at the University of Guelph, and if I if I remember correctly, you are the professor of organizational behavior uh, at the U of G, correct? I am a professor of organizational behavior. My, my training is actually in psychology. I'm an applied social psychologist by training, um, and I specialize in organizational psychology, which is pretty much the same thing as organizational behavior, yeah. Well, that, that's good I, because I think the well-being and psychology right now is kind of a a key topic considering what's going on in the world with pandemic planning, you know, some of the headlines we're seeing with other 
uh, headline-grabbing topics, shall we say. I don't want to get into some of those ones because that will get us off track of what we're here to talk about today. But um, <clears throat> I think well-being is a, a key factor uh, with the pandemic response and what organizations need to think about right now. Yeah, I would agree with you. And uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think we would be getting off topic if we just you know mentioned you know there was a survey that came out uh, I guess about a little over a month ago that suggested that half of Canadians say that their mental health has worsened since uh, the pandemic started, and uh, that's a problem. And it's certainly you know in a crisis, something that employers need to consider is how their employees are coping because the, uh, the way in which their employees cope has a direct bearing on how effective the organization is going to be. So I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a very important issue. Well, okay, let's let's stay there. What what can organizations do up front? Knowing this survey said that, you know, so many <clears throat> Canadians, and let's face it, you could probably have that survey in many other countries around the world, the U.S., yeah. you know, the U.K., anywhere, and end up with a lot of the same uh, results. And what can organizations do with regards to well-being We'll start from the organizational perspective. What can they do to help their employees' well-being at times like this? Well, there's it, it's uh, it's a very broad issue. The bottom line is that uh, anytime you're talking about this sort of thing, it's it's difficult because everyone's needs are different, and what mm-hmm. what any particular individual needs is different depending on their circumstances, what their home life is like, whether they're leaving the home or not. Uh, their social network and such. So uh, it's tough to talk about things in general, but of course we have to. So um, I did a talk uh, not long ago, um, actually for the university, uh, for the for the School of Business where I work, and uh, on this topic. And so I, what I did there was I uh, broke it down. If I broke I broke what employees need down into three areas which are not my um, creation. There's a classic approach to um, motivation in management uh, called the ERG theory, derived decades ago by Clayton Elderfer, and uh, he suggests that humans' needs fall into three categories, and so uh, and the ERG stands for existence, relatedness, and growth. And so I don't think this provides all of the answers, but it's a good way to structure thinking around this topic. So... From the point of view of existence, what organizations can do to help people um, feel better and cope with the stressors they're facing during this crisis is, um, first of all, deal with the E needs, which is existence. So things like you know, in, ensuring that people who are still on the payroll are taken care of in terms of um, changes that need to be made to the workplace. And of course, we're seeing a wide variety of measures being taken across uh, the industry across the globe, in fact, as you're, as you're suggesting, it's not, of course, exclusive to Canada. But we're also mm-hmm. seeing, I think, uh, differing levels of attention to this. And employees need to believe that management has its best interests at heart. One of the things that you find, even within the same organization, what you often find <coughs> is that certain employees feel that the company really cares and is trying and doing their best, and others mm-hmm. don't. And so I think one of the things from the point of view of existence level needs that organizations, certainly the leadership of organizations need to be be focusing on is making sure that they're communicating what they're doing and making 
um, making it visible to everybody what they're doing and the efforts they're taking, and including discussing frustrations and, and what steps they're going to be taking to deal with those frustrations. So that's one of the mm-hmm. things with respect to existence-related needs. Um, the other thing that uh, I think they should be doing, and you're going to know all about this because you were the one that gave me this idea, is um, even for the people that, ha- that have to be let go, you can still help them out. You can still have a hotline or a point person to help people deal with you know, government funding and answer questions about when they might be coming back. The, mm-hmm. you know, a, a crisis like this creates a lot of confusion, and one of the things that employers can help employees negotiate is, is that confusion by giving them answers or at least a sense of what direction the organization is going. Let's be right. the existence-related needs. And then the second set of needs are relatedness needs. So people, I mean, one of the most fundamental needs we have is for relationships. And um, our relationships are one of maybe the most effective way we have for handling stress. Um, in fact, there's research showing that the mortality risk, so the, death of, the risk of dying from a, a lack of social connection is comparable or greater to other known health risks like smoking and alcoholism. So um, ensuring that people have enough time for social contact, uh, you know, dealing with the struggles they're having with social contact, like, you know, we're hearing all about the Zoom fatigue, so how do you help people deal with Zoom fatigue? <laughs> Maybe not by having another Zoom meeting, but I think it is good to have a schedule social interactions, including just casual social interactions. So, you don't have to always be meeting all day. You can be just having a hallway conversation where you spend an hour just shooting the breeze with your colleagues and tell jokes and laugh and just enjoy yourself. We actually do that uh, where I work. On. And it's wonderful. I look forward to it every week. Um, and it's important during, those, during that time that employees relate to each other. It's not enough to just be on the call. But for example, there's research... Um, it's a little bit controversial, the research, but there's, there's some research showing that, for example, with social media, with Facebook in particular, um, if you go onto Facebook but you just peruse, that actually leads to depression. But if you engage with other people, then that has a positive effect on your mood. So you have to be engaged. It's like you know, going to a high school dance and just sitting on, you know, being a wallflower and not getting up and you know, being shy and not dancing. Uh, that doesn't improve your mood, but if you get up and have fun, then it does. So it's really the quality of the interaction, not just the interaction that matters. So that's that second piece, the R of ERG, is relatedness, which deals with, of course, relationships. And then the final piece is growth. So the, the last thing I think organizations can do to help people deal with these, these difficulties is help them grow. Um, growth involves having... Um, Having, feeling that you're having a productive effect on yourself or the, or, or the environment and, and generating a sense of wholeness by becoming what you can truly be. And so one of the things that helps that occur is if people have meaning. And they can have meaning in their work and meaning at work. So meaning in work is about things like feeling that the work, the actual work that you're doing makes a difference and you're making a contribution. That can be compromised during crises, in fact, there was an article at the Harvard Business Review recently about one of the mistakes people make during crises is that management will narrow its focus, consolidate operations, and that can strip employees of their sense of meaning. If, if roles and responsibilities are taken away from them, it, it narrows their scope, and that 
deprives them of a sense of meaning and purpose. So that's a mistake. Um, that's meaning in work, but there's also meaning at work, uh, which is about when you feel uh, that your, your work is important because of the organization you belong to. So, uh, you know, uh, at, at my work, it's wonderful, you know, uh, University of Guelph has been in the news for donating 10,000 masks to frontline workers, opening up its uh, residences so those workers can protect their families, preparing meals for the hungry. And when I read about those things, it just it makes me feel so proud, and that gives me some meaning at work. So that's a very long answer to your question about what employees <laughs> or employers can do uh, to help people cope is to think in terms of this ERG theory um, and then put into practice you know, what, the, uh, what the theory would suggest. Well, you touched on one point that uh, I thought was rather interesting. You know, you mentioned the Zoom fatigue, you know, where people are, or some other, you know, meeting uh, application, uh, where employees are always in meetings, you know, that way, and it's not really relational. Uh, Is that, you know, could part of that also be that, you know, organizations will look at you, you know, it's easier to put it this way, it's easier to walk down the hallway and have a quick chat with someone but if you're using organizational uh, resources, um, whether it be a WebEx or Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever else the organization has provided, to have these um, not so formal chats, you know, does the organization kind of send mixed messages? You know, th- these tools are for your meetings, but on the same side, they're saying, you know, you can't use them for. Uh, you know, social interaction, yet social interaction, as you described it, if they're not doing that, can actually come back to help the uh, harm the organization anyway. Well, they should be allowing the technology to use for social interaction. The, the challenge, of course, is that you know, most CEOs aren't psychologists and yeah. uh, maybe even didn't take any OB courses when they were in business school. So they don't have, many of them, an appreciation for the human side of enterprise. But people aren't machines, they can't operate 24-7, and they have needs that have to be satisfied. And, you know, it's, I, I, it, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of stories in the media of companies that are going the extra mile. Um, and one of the ones I was going to mention to you was Cisco that a couple of weeks ago gave all their employees Friday off to go back and recharge the batteries. That's, you know, it's humanizing the workplace. Mm-hmm. So, of course, other companies, well, and you know, another example, I was trying to track down the, um, the actual source of this, but on social media, I saw some, one employee at the uh, Canadian government had posted the, the new rules of the workplace, and they were things like, don't be too hard on yourself, uh, you don't have to be working at the same level of productivity that you've been working at, we understand, and he was saying, what a great place to work. And, uh, and I, I snipped that, and I'll be using that in some of the presentations I do when we go back to the normality. But, of course, there are other organizations that are doing the opposite. They're saying, look, we don't care what's happening. This is the new normal, and you have to work at a normal level of, of productivity and get to it. And it's really, mm-hmm. there's a real lack of empathy and a real lack of humanism in those organizations. And so... You know, it, it is the case. The reality is, I have to be careful with what I say because, you know, so much of what I do is trying to humanize workplaces uh, for the purpose mm-hmm. of making them more effective. But I have to be careful because some of my recommendations, you know, the, I, employees have to be careful to implement what I say. Um, or they have to take into account whether or not the, the organization, whether the culture, the department, the bosses will accept these initiatives. 
mm-hmm. um, because they won't all of them. So, in I mean, I haven't heard of any companies saying you're not allowed to use Zoom for a social call. But if that's the case, then those employees should put those leaders in touch with me because I need to explain to them that they're shooting themselves in the foot because that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I think part of that too is, uh, or something that I, I thought of is, I think sometimes managers forget that they, right now with the pandemic, they're in the same boat with you know their quote general employee populace. You know, they're segregated too. So what's bugging your employees is probably bugging them as well. So, you know, th- there has to be some sort of uh, uh, leverage here, you know, or leniency, I should say, you know, to be able to recognize this, you know, that, that I, I people completely be, agree. You know, yeah, like Alex, have you heard of companies that are that are doing that saying, you know, don't use the technology. If you're on a Zoom call, it has to be for work. No social, no socializing. I, yes, I have. I have. I can't. I can't name them because no. one, I, I know quite well, but you know, they're they're they've not in a formal way that you could ever trace it. But you know, it's been kind of said in a passive aggressive way. Like these are tools. You know, you're all working from home. We expect you to follow all the rules. You know, and so the only time you're ever talking with anybody is, <laughs> you know, through a meeting. You know, luckily. Um, in my case, my own my own case, uh, I'm on the phone four or five times a day with a couple of colleagues, you know, and we will chat about work for five minutes, and the next fifteen is usually something else just to help, you know, get us going again, you know, pump each other up, so to speak. It, it it's very disheartening for me to hear that, and it, it um it's a problem just from the point of view of humanity, but it's also a problem from the point of view of organizational effectiveness. Those, you know, I, I would hope that those dictates are not organization-wide, and although I suspect they may be, and it may be just a few managers who study too much finance and operations and not enough OB, um, <laughs> yeah, <that's>... <laughs> making these bad calls, but they really are bad calls, because if you look at the research on what makes people effective, both in terms of you know being uh, healthy and psychologically well, but also effective as an employee and being productive, those are the wrong, that's the wrong decision because mm-hmm. it is undermining. You know, a car can't run if it doesn't have gas in it. And so someone who says, well, don't put any gas in because we have to conserve the gas for um, a drive to where I want to go. But you can't use the gas. We have to go to the gas station to get more gas. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's, it's going to help you to go get more gas. And so this is the exact same thing. People have needs that have to be satisfied. One of those needs is social interaction. I mean, if you think about the Mm -hmm. fact that we evolved over millennia in small groups where we relied on each other for survival, for protection, for food, that is ingrained in us. And any manager that cuts those ties is cutting their employees' connection to that which allows them to thrive. It is absolutely the wrong thing to do. So we can say that, you know, we're speaking in the abstract. I'm not criticizing any organization in particular, but I, so for that reason, I feel comfortable saying rather strongly it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today we are talking with Professor Jamie Grumman from the University of Guelph, and we'll be right back. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune into Destination University on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Gear up for big game and big adventures this week on The Revolution as the boys traverse the globe in search of the most exotic and dangerous hunting and fishing destinations known to outdoorsmen. Joining them is Lucas Hodge from Hodge Wild, Ross Purnell of Blood Run Fly Fishing with Amazon Warriors, and Joseph Furanato, Associate Editor of Peterson's Hunting Magazine. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Professor Jamie Grumman, Professor of Organizational Behavior from the University of Guelph. Uh, Jamie, I mentioned in the first segment um, that I had your book here, but I neglected to say the title. So for everyone out there, uh, the book that I'm referencing uh, is called Boost, The Science of Recharging Yourself in an Age of Unrelenting Demands. Now, in your book, you talk about renew, uh, a renew framework. Can you tell us about that? What is that? And give us some examples. I would be happy to. So the renew framework is um, the model that I put together after surveying the, the literature on the topic of recovery. Um, and not recovery from drugs or recovery from heart attack, but recovery from the daily demands that we face uh, as a result of work and other obligations. 
And so the RENEW is an acronym, stands for uh, Resources, Needs, and Unhook. And so that model is the model I put together after scanning the literature and trying to consolidate everything um, we know about how to recharge ourselves, how to recover from those daily demands that we face, so that we can come back and get a boost. And that's the title of the book, is Boost. And a boost is this term I came up with, uh, along with my, my partner on this, uh, Deirdre Healy, to convey the three-pronged benefits of effective recovery. And that, those are um, psychological well-being. So if you recover effectively in your leisure time, you promote your you know, happiness. You also promote your physical health. You literally live longer. And you also enhance yourself, which means you get better at those tasks that drained you in the first place. So those three pieces represent a boost. And um, part of where this, this area of research came from was that years ago, you know, people knew that there was an association between stress at work and poor health. Uh, if you're stressed at work, you, you, know, you suffer heart attacks and strokes, you don't live as long, and, and that was known. But that relationship between stress and poor health didn't apply to everybody. Some people were okay. They were resilient in a sense. And so... What they started looking into it, and what they discovered was that people who, despite being stressed when they were working, were able to recover effectively in their leisure time, they didn't suffer the ill effect of the stress. And so this area of research started growing. It's a big area now. And, um, yeah, and so that's where the book came from, and that's where the model came from, is after surveying everything, put it all together in this simple you to understand model, the R-E-N-U, Renew model. And uh, so what it means is that if you want to get a boost in your leisure time, you need to, first of all, replenish the resources that you were using when you're working. So you want to do somewhat of an audit. And, you know, are you using physical resources? Are you using mental resources? If you're using either of the two, pick mental resources. So if you're using mental resources, which resources? Do you have to concentrate a lot? Do you have to uh, manage your emotions a lot? And then what you need to do is in your leisure time, if you want to get a boost, make sure that the activities you're engaging don't, dr- in, don't draw on the same resources. Because if they do, they're not, you're not going to fill that bucket. I, think, I tend to think of the, the, the Renew model as three buckets you need to fill. So you're not going to fill that bucket. So, for example, if you're a lawyer and you're arguing court cases all week, and then on the weekend you're coaching your daughter's softball team and arguing with parents about who the starting pitcher should be, you're drawing on the same resource, and you're not going to feel mm-hmm. replenished when you come back to work on Monday morning. The, the second bucket is the needs bucket. So we all have, as we were discussing earlier, uh, physical and psychological needs that have to be satisfied. That's why they're called needs. So if you don't eat and you don't drink, those are needs, you don't live. And similarly, in order to flourish, we have to satisfy our psychological needs. We have a need for autonomy. There's a need to feel that our actions are, to some extent, freely chosen. We have a need for... We have a number of needs. These are, these are the ones that tend to get focused on in management psychology and the ones I focused on in the book. We have a need for competence, the need to feel that we are skilled and getting better at tasks. And we have uh, the need for relatedness, which is the relationships we were talking about before. That's why they're so important, uh, as we were discussing, for people to satisfy those needs and be able to use the technology to satisfy those needs. And mm-hmm. uh, if I feel so strongly about this, and the humanizing of the workforce. I and mean, one of the epidemics, in addition to COVID, that we have these days is uh, the, the Center for Disease Control 
and prevention in the States talks about a lack of adequate sleep, which is another need that we have um, as, as, as there being an epidemic of inadequate sleep. And uh, so I have actually done talks where I recommend that, uh, to the extent possible, companies allow employees to sleep on the job. And uh, some people think I'm crazy, and I get a kick out of saying it. But, you know, if you think about how work is creeping into our home lives, why not allow our home life to creep into our work lives a little bit? And if you want your employees to be as effective as possible, well, if they're tired at work, they're not effective. Let them have a 20-minute catnap, come back refreshed and recharged, and boom, you have a fantastic employee the rest of the day. I think this idea of not sleeping on the job is uh, kind of an outdated issue. And the last bucket is the unhook bucket, uh, which is has two parts. The first is relaxing. You do need to relax in your leisure time. But the second piece that most people are unaware of is what's called psychological detachment. Psychological detachment is about mentally turning off from work. So under, in, in normal circumstances, when I give these talks, I say, uh, it's not enough to physically leave the office. You have to mentally leave the office. If you're, you know, if you're on vacation and you're thinking about, you know, ruminating, ruminating over, you know, some bad feedback you got, you're not mentally disengaging. You're not psychologically detaching. If you're at home in the evenings and you're thinking about the presentation you're going to give the next day, you're not psychologically detaching and you're not going to get a boost. So that's the renewed model. The resources needs an unhook. And if you satisfy those three pieces, fill those three buckets, you get the boost, and the uh, sort of kicker for all of this is it's not so much the activities you engage in when you're away from work that matter. It's whether or not those activities let you fill those buckets, and if they do, you're going to get a boost. It's it's interesting you mentioned um, uh, sleeping at work because I remembered uh, being this is going back a few years, maybe it's still there, but it was in one of the office towers. I was visiting a friend when you could still kind of visit friends in you know their places of operation. And one of the towers in downtown Toronto in one of the corners of the, the building uh, on, you know, about 20, 30 floors up, something like that. It was an employee lounge and you weren't allowed mm-hmm. to bring any laptops in there, no phones. If you just had something to read or you needed to chill or even have a nap, you know, uh, you could go in there, sit there and kind of recharge your batteries. And I thought that was a great idea, and I, I really like what you just said because maybe more places should do that. There are places that do. Ben and Jerry's does it, Nike does it, Zappos does it. But um, when I do talks, I always like to ask people, how many of you have lounge rooms, like you were saying, or there are even special pods you can buy that you know, kind of drown out noise a little bit? Uh, I ask people, how many of you have these in your place of business? And some hands will go up. And then I ask them, how many of you will actually go in there and take a nap? And in all the time I've been doing this, only one hand has ever gone up. And really, I think what it boils down to is, if the senior executives in the company are doing it, then it'll happen. Uh, otherwise, yeah. it can be considered taboo. And even though uh, it's like flex time policies or, you know, yeah. people, even though they may be, may be on the books, people are reluctant to take advantage of them because they're seem, you know, they seem kind of weak or uncommitted. Which right. is unfortunate. So you need models to, to show you that it's not only okay but desirable. Again, this is another example of if you look at the research on this, just a, a ten minute nap um, can restore your alertness and reduce your fatigue and make you more effective at what you're doing. So you know, if you consider that, if you consider how many, how much people actually work during the day. Right. So maybe let's 
pick a, a standard eight-hour day. You go for lunch, you have a break. If you smoke, you go have a, a smoke or you go get a coffee uh, at Starbucks, although it's tougher to do now or soon. Um, but, you know, you're not constantly working. And so, if, what's the harm in taking a 10 or 15-minute nap when you recognize you're not working for eight or nine hours? So mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the difficulty in adding something? It's, uh, it's really, it's a holdover. It's a holdover from the, uh, the days when our economy was dominated by agriculture and manufacturing and our value as employees was based on our input. But in so many uh, organizations today, in the knowledge economy, the service economy, or the um, creative economy, uh, your value is based on your output. And when that shift occurs, mm-hmm then it doesn't matter what your inputs are. If you take a break to take a nap, then who cares? What matters yeah. is, you know, if you're on an assembly line and you stopped working, you were stealing uh, time from your employer. But now if you don't take a nap when you're tired, you're stealing performance from your employer. Yeah. Well, you, you got me thinking about another point now. With some, uh, In the first segment, we mentioned so many people that are working from home now. And your description of um, the Renew framework is there a difference between um, introverts and ex- extroverts, you know, working at home? I, I read somewhere very quickly, um, introverts working from home, it's a haven for them. But for extroverts, it's like a prison sentence. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I've known a number of people over the years, long before COVID hit, who um, thought to be able to work at home and then were granted that uh, ability and then and hated it because they were socialites and they needed the, the hustle and the bustle and the activity and the interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas for introverts, um, you're right, it is like a haven. So I'll give you an example. So I was on sabbatical this past year. And so I was working at home every day and writing and, um, and then COVID hit. And the only difference for me is my family's home now. Like nothing changed for me. It was I, cause I'm an introvert. And uh, I'm just quite happy to have my nose in a book or my fingers on a, on a laptop. And uh, I don't go for lunch as often or really ever now. But you're right. For people, for people who get their energy from the interaction and the hustle and the bustle, yes, uh, being at home is, uh, is no fun. They're, they're not house cats. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know for me, you know, I... I would kind of classify myself more as an introvert yet, you know, if I'm at a conference and I'm speaking somewhere, I'm complete extrovert, you know, but as soon as I'm done, I uh, walk off the stage, I'll go sit down in the corner and then just watch everything that goes on from there. (laughs) You can turn it on. So I think that's common for a lot of people is that they can turn it on when they need to, but it doesn't come naturally. And if you do too much of that, it's very draining. Yeah, I, I've always been that way myself. It doesn't drain me. It, it I, for me, I complete comfortable. Like I know why I'm here, and I feel com- comfortable doing it up on stage. You know, I I enjoy it, but I also know, okay, that part's now over. Time to sit down and you know, you know, uh, take a breather, so to speak. You know, I, I have the same experiences um, when I'm on stage. So in the early days, I used to get very nervous getting on stage, but now when I get on stage, it's a real buzz. It's uh, it's it's a completely different zone, and there's yeah, completely. Yeah. You know, if I tell a joke to my wife, I don't get a, a single chuckle. But if I go on stage and there are enough people, <laughs> and it's just great. It's so much fun. I completely understand why entertainers 
um, get addicted to being on stage. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I enjoy it. You know, I'm, I talk more and get more animated. And then when I'm sitting down at a table, you know, watching other speakers, I'm quiet, you know, don't. Don't pay attention to me. You know, my focus is on that person. You know, completely opposite. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, I was was curious to to see, you know, using that approach, uh, introverts and uh, extroverts, um, you know what? I think I'm going to end our segment here because uh, I think your response will probably be a lot uh, longer than a a minute that I have left in this segment. But I'm going to ask you about some of the things people can do at home, you know, for their own well-being and maybe touch on that introvert extrovert thing if there's something different that maybe both of them can do, you know. So, I'm going to end our second segment right here. Today we are talking with Dr. Jamie Gruman from the University of Guelph and author of Boost: The Science of Recharging Yourself in an Age of Unrelenting Demands. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune in to Destination University on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Gear up for Big Game and Big Adventures this week on The Revolution as the boys traverse the globe in search of the most exotic and dangerous hunting and fishing destinations known to outdoorsmen. Joining them is Lucas Hodge from Hodge Wild, Ross Purnell of Blood Run Fly Fishing with Amazon Warriors, and Joseph Furanato, Associate Editor of Peterson's Hunting Magazine. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Dr. Jamie Grumman from the University of Guelph and author of Boost, The Science of Recharging Yourself in an Age of Unrelenting Demands. Jamie, in our second segment, um, I know I had brought up the point of introverts and extroverts. Um, I'm wondering if we can tie that to what what are some of the things that we can do for our own well-being, considering most many of us are at home now. Um, is there anything we can do to help our own well-being? You know, uh, organizations can only do so so much, but what can we do within our own homes? And maybe taking into account those of us that are introverts and those that are extroverts? Well, there's a lot we can do. Um, that's a good question. Um, and, and, and you can certainly tailor it to whether or not you're an introvert or an extrovert, or really any other personality dimension. The, one of the things I like saying is, is that, you know, I can give people lots of ideas about how to promote their well-being, but in the end, you have to try things on for size yourself and see what works. And uh, in the same way that good, you know, effective companies will experiment, keep what works and let go what doesn't. Individuals mm-hmm. need to do the same. So, um, well, first thing I'll do is I'll just go through a number of, of activities um, that I discuss in the books just because I have my head around those. Um, but, you know, actually, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit more of a structure about how to think about what could work. Then I'll come back to those, those different specific activities. So, when it comes to, I use this structure when I'm teaching my undergrads about how to manage. Um, so your, your point of leverage when you're dealing with yourself and with others is you've got thoughts you can work with, you've got emotions, you've got behavior, and you've got the context. And you have to take individual differences into account as you consider those, those three, uh, those four areas. So your, your distinction between introversion and extroversion applies here. So to promote your well-being during this crazy time, one of the things you can focus on, and again, I want to highlight, if you try this on for size, see if it works for you, um, and if not, move on to something else. Maybe this isn't your piece. But So in terms of thoughts, one of the things that sometimes gets in the way of our enjoying some well-being is that we suffer cognitive distortion. So, I mean, I, I was certainly suffering from this when this began. Actually, when it was still restricted to China, I was, uh, I was pretty stressed out myself. And it lasted for about two weeks. I felt kind of paralyzed, actually, for about two weeks. And I realized I was suffering from some cognitive distortions. I was catastrophizing, which is when you expect disaster. You hear about problems, and you start going through all this, well, what if this, and what if this happens? And, you know, well, what if the world just implodes? And so, you know, the solution to that is, you know, some calculate, calculate some realistic odds, what might happen, what might not happen. This is sort of a cognitive... Uh, point of leverage to consider. Maybe you're engaging in, in polarized thinking. Things are black or, and white. Things are either terrible or they're awesome. Well, you know, think in terms of shades of gray. Um, maybe you have uh, control fan- fallacies that you think that you can control everything, and now that you can't control everything, but life is just out of control. Well, no, there are still things that you can control, and thinking about what some of those things might be is, I think, a point of leverage for a lot of people. So that's one thing in terms of cognition or thought uh, to promote your well-being is think about sort of 
do some self-analysis, pay attention to the thoughts you're having, and think about what effect they're having on you. Um, the second piece is emotion. And one of the things that's going to happen if you have particular sets of thoughts is they're going to influence the way you feel, and that may make you feel very stressed or exacerbate the stress that you're experiencing. Um, and, and I, I do want—I want to point out one thing. I, I don't want to minimize how difficult this um, this time is for a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are mm-hmm. don't have an income and don't know when they're going to be going back to work and um, are wondering about paying their rent and their mortgage and, and just really anxious. And that's real. And I don't want to minimize that in any way by suggesting, well, if you change the way you think about things, everything is okay. That's not the case. I don't think everything is okay. Um, and that's actually one of the things that I, that I wanted to mention, and that is with respect to emotions, is I think one of the things that's effective to help cope is to recognize that things may not be okay. I think that it's often the case that when we suffer crises or difficulties, when we ask the question, you know, what can I do about this? The, the real question we're asking is, how can I make this go away? Yeah. And it's often the case that well, you can't make it go away. And it is valuable oftentimes to, instead of trying to get out of the crisis, to dive right into it, to accept it for what it is. And with your eyes wide open and accepting all of the anxiety and the fear that comes with it. Dive right into it. And one of the things that helps with this is mindfulness. Um, very popular topic these days. I think most people misunderstand mm-hmm. it. I wrote a piece on yes. that recently. Um, but your mindfulness is, is, is generally thought of as, as having um, you know, an open-minded, non-judgmental, present-moment awareness. So you're just aware of your thoughts and your feelings you let them come. You don't hang on to them. You don't push them away. You just sort of watch them rise and fall like waves on a shore. You say hi to them, and you let them come, and you let them go. You don't grasp, and you don't push them away. And you accept the fact that you're anxious, and you're fearful, and that's normal and expected. And that's, um, I think there's power in recognizing that. And there's also a lot of research demonstrating that. So, for example, to develop wisdom, you have to accept discomfort. To promote um, um, post-traumatic growth, there's this thing called post-traumatic growth. Some people suffer very stressful difficulties, like being in a war zone, and they come back and they suffer post-traumatic stress disorder. Some people mm-hmm. come back and suffer trauma, but eventually grow as a result of it. They're actually their well-being is enhanced more so after the trauma than than it was before the trauma. They're they're better off afterwards, and that's post-traumatic. Growth, and when people talk about that, they talk about the need to engage with the trauma. You can't turn it off. You've got to stay, you've got to dive right deep into it, see it for what it is, and allow yourself the ability to work through it uh, and come out stronger on the other end. So that's one of the ways of dealing with you know, your emotional point of leverage is to recognize the emotions and stay with them. And don't try to push them away. It's not the case that everything is going to be okay necessarily. You have to accept that and grow from it. Uh, and then the next piece is behavior. So we can try to deal with crises the way organizations do, by planning, by engaging in disaster preparedness, um, looking around, considering what resources you have. One of the things that promotes resilience is resources. So what resources do you have? Not just financial resources, but what 
social resources? Who can you rely on for information, for support? You can do an audit of, of the resources you have available. I think it's, um, it's often the case that people make the mistake of thinking that resilience is uh, simply a matter of being strong yourself. And Michael Ungar is a, a guy who does a lot of writing on this idea that that's a fallacy. That, that there's an element of that, of course, but uh, there's also this, this, this contextual element of being um, aware of the, the resources in your environment. Um, and then the final piece is context, and that deals with a similar thing. So recognizing what. Uh, how, leveraging your social network. Um, can people lend you money if you need money? Can they let you stay in their place? Can you start bunking with somebody? What's the cost? I mm-hmm. think um, you know that. I think we're going to see some of that. I think we're going to see quite a bit of that soon. And uh, I was actually thinking earlier today about paradoxically, in an age, when I was reading a, an article about uh, post-traumatic growth, and the guy was talking about how. We live in an age when some of the things that help to promote post-traumatic growth are minimized. So things like social connection, things like uh, seeing the positive, and, but we're seeing increased rates of depression, so people don't see the positive as much these days. And so socially, societally, the conditions are less conducive to uh, post-traumatic growth, he was arguing. But I was thinking how, well, if people, if one of the things that's undermining post-traumatic growth is this lack of social networking. We're living in isolated homes and now only connecting virtually. What if people start having to live together because they can't afford to live apart anymore? And that paradoxically may build their social network. Those are the yin and yang, those are the pros and cons of situations. This is why um, I tend to think of things in a balanced way. I published a paper a couple of years ago on what I call my balance framework. So now applied to a number of areas. It's an interesting thing. It's not as clear-cut as we often think it is. And so then in terms of specific activities to engage in, there are a whole host of them. Um, and and it's, I want people to hearing this to recognize that these aren't just interesting ideas, but there's a lot of research demonstrating the value of things like exercise. Exercise is, has been shown repeatedly to improve your mood. It, uh, of course, makes you healthier, but it also can improve your concentration and your performance on tasks. And if you're finding yourself feeling lonely or, or isolated, you can get on the treadmill with a friend of your own view and, you know, shoot the breeze while you're both running on, on a treadmill or, or pumping iron. Um, things like time in nature. One of the topics I find very interesting is all the research that's demonstrating the healing value of nature when we're in nature. So, for example, if you take uh, people and send them on a 20-minute walk through a cityscape, and another group of people and send them on a 20-minute walk through nature, either a park or a forest or near a shoreline, the people who walked in nature will feel better than the people who walked in the city. And that's been shown repeatedly. And being in nature is, is promotes your health. Just being, just physically being in nature. It lowers your stress level, it lowers cortisol in your body. We talked about mindfulness, that meditation is effective, um... I always say anybody who doesn't believe that meditation is of value or thinks it's a silly new age topic is simply unfamiliar with the research. There is a ton of research demonstrating the value in mm-hmm. terms of yeah. physical health, mental well-being of meditation. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, another thing that people tend not to think about, I have a chapter on this in the book, and it's a little surprising, I think, is uh, volunteering. 
is a way to make yourself feel better. Uh, it's a little tougher to do, of course, these days, but um, mm-hmm. volunteering, if you think in terms of the Renew model, volunteering will allow you to draw on resources that are different from when you're working. And so for that reason, it's important that when you're volunteering to not volunteer in a way that leverages the skills you use at work. So if you're a chef, don't volunteer to cook at a drop-in center because you're using the same resources. You're not going to get a boost. But if you volunteer by driving people to the hospital, you're filling the renew bucket. Um, If you're socializing with others, you're filling the the needs bucket. And if you are not thinking about work because you're painting the, the house of someone who can't afford to do it themselves, you're psychologically distancing yourself from work. So that helps to fill those buckets. One of the things that um, um, I should mention, although I recognize we don't have a lot of time, I don't want to talk over. How much time do I have? You have about two minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I'll, I'll end on this one. Um, the importance of sleep. We talked about sleeping on the job. Um, for people who are working at home, there is, it's very easy to, you, know, you have all this freedom. You can go to bed when you want to, wake up when you want to. Um, that's a huge mistake. It's very important to have a sleep schedule. One of the reasons that we have this epidemic of poor sleep is because people practice poor sleep hygiene. Uh, you want to go to bed at the same time every day. It's even more important to wake up at the same time every day. You want to make sure your room is cool. You sleep better when it's cool. Restrict your bedroom to sleeping. Don't play games in there, no video games, no board games, don't read, just keep your room for sleeping. Um, yeah. Alcohol can co- will compromise your sleep actually quite a bit. Uh, so sleeping well is very important. Just because you've got the freedom to wake up and go to bed whenever you can, have the discipline to not do that. Pretend you're still waking up at 6 or whatever to get to the office and stick to that regimen because it's going to help you sleep well and sleep is probably the most important recovery mechanism that we have. Just as an FYI, I, I did change my sleep schedule a little bit. Instead of getting up at 4 a.m., I now get up at 5.30 a.m. because I don't have two hours of travel time to uh, to the office anymore. Uh, well, you're lucky. But at least, as long as you're getting up at the same time, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we've come to the end of our show. Professor Jamie Grumman, thank you very much for joining us, and congratulations on your book, Boost, by the way. Thank you very much for having me, and thanks for the congratulations. This has been fun. Yes, I I think uh, a lot of what you uh, uh, talked to us about today can help a lot of people out there. You know, these are trying times, and, you know, uh, you even mentioned it yourself. We're all, we all have our different needs, and I think everybody's dealing with it differently. So you've given us a lot of food for thought, uh, organizations and uh, individuals. So thank you very much for your time and expertise. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And to everybody out there, uh, if you have any topics, please feel free, send me a note. Thanks to everybody at Stone Road for uh, the sponsorship today. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.